author Bruce Larson in his book, There's a Lot More to Health Than Not Being Sick, tells about the time when the early Europeans who came to settle North America and they found it vast and unexplored. Self-reliant was the watchword and the scout, the mountain man or pioneer with his axe and rifle over his shoulder became the national hero. In those early days, the government wanting to encourage settlement uh, offered quarter sections of land to people who would be homesteaders. And so many people left the crowded cities and uh, villages to go to these places where they could own land for the first time. But before they could homestead and farm the land, the first thing they had to do was to build some kind of um, sod hut for them to be able to live in. And so almost without exception, they all chose to build these huts bang in the center of their quarter section of land. The reason for this was obvious. People who never owned land now wanted to just get the feeling of the enjoyment of looking all around them in every direction and just drink in the fact that they now own this land. But this didn't last very long. Uh, Larson goes on to note, the chosen isolation did strange things to people. Occasionally photographers went out to record life on the frontier and returned with photographs of weird men, wild-eyed women and haunted-looking children. And so what people began to do was to move their houses, not the center, but moved it to the corner so that four adjacent properties all had houses living next to each other. And this is what he finishes by saying, four families living together, sharing life and death, joy and sorrow, abundance and want, had a good chance of making it. Welcome to one of the faces of the illusion of independence. And the destructive influences of giving in to that. But today we'll live in a very different kind of setting. We're able to buy a house in a community or a condominium or an apartment and we can get along without any connection to the people on either side of us. We're self-sufficient in so many different ways. Of course, when things like the ice storm that happened last December comes upon us and electricity is gone and all the floods that happened a year ago, July, then we suddenly realize how dependent we are and we need people all around us. Now here's another popular form of the illusion of independence. It's kind of the thinking that goes this way. It's it's what lies behind the statement or the feeling that's unstated that I'm a self-made man or a self-made woman. Which you, you know, I I think of the story that I've heard on occasion. I was an immigrant. I came to this country when I was young. I got up early in the morning, took a two-hour bus ride to my place of work. I worked 14 hours a day for several years. I built a home. I raised and educated my children. Uh, And then I started a business and I borrowed money and I succeeded in that business and I paid off all uh, all the money that I have and this is what I have accomplished. Yeah, All that may be true. And many people have done that. But... But you're not a self-made man or a self-made woman. Even a few moments of honest reflection on that will show us the complete shallowness of that statement. From the time of our conception through all the early years, we were 100% dependent upon somebody else. We had to be fed, we had to be clothed, we had to be nurtured. We were taken to doctors for well baby visits. If something was wrong with us, our parents endured sleepless nights and days looking after us until we got well. Then we were taught to eat and we were fed when we couldn't feed ourselves. Uh, We were taught to drink. We were taught to walk and there was always a pair of hands nearby to catch us if we fell. And if we did fall and hurt ourselves, off we went to the doctor again. We were then taught to read and write first at home and then in the schools. And we had nothing to do with accomplishing or bringing about any of those realities in our lives. And later, 
for those of us who were able to go to university. Uh, either our grandparents left us an inheritance or our parents financed us. Or you say, no, 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 I got a job for myself. Well, somebody had to start a company and take a risk in hiring you so that you would have that job. And then throughout most of our life, and we discover at various times, that we are desperately dependent upon the healthcare system. We're dependent upon doctors and nurses and technology and equipment and all of that to continue to keep living our life. So this, this business of being a self-made man or a self-made woman is just total illusion. What are people who need each other, whether we are aware of it or not? Now not only is this true in life and health in general, it is specifically true for those of us who are Christ followers as well. And, and if you're not a Christ follower here, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we're just like you. We, we give, give in to this illusion of independence at various times. And these next few words that I speak might give you some indication of how Christians are supposed to grapple with this. And I want to walk you through four passages of scripture that kind of underline for us the fact that in order to grow in Christ-likeness, in order to grow in maturity, which is, which is the goal that God has for us as Christ followers, that we are a people who need each other. The Apostle Paul writing to the uh, Ephesian Christians. Uh, is a small church in modern day Turkey. He says this. He, Jesus, is the one who gave these gifts to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. And I'm one of the, the latter one. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son... That we will be mature and full grown in the Lord. Measuring up to the full stature of Christ. That's God's agenda for us as Christ followers. Under his direction the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God's goal for us is maturity increasing Christ likeness. And it is not enough for the paid staff, the pastors and the teachers to to do this work. Everybody has to do their part in order for all of us to grow up together in him. And in fact, one of the primary jobs of those like us who are so-called full-time pastors is to equip everybody in the body of Christ to do their part so that the whole body, including myself, I need you to grow, to build myself up in the faith. Now one particular dimension of this responsibility that we have is to teach each other about truth that changes our lives. And so in another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to another group of Christians, he says this, Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your heart and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Now this is on one hand a great description of my job responsibility every week when I preach. It's to let Christ's words dwell in me and to teach you. But it's not just me. We're each of us are encouraged to teach and counsel one another. The reason for this is that we all have blind spots. We have tunnel vision. We don't often think outside the boxes in which we have been shaped. And so we need Christians from different backgrounds to mix together with us. Uh, a week ago Friday, Sham and I met with eight other couples in our home. We do that every month with two groups of uh, couples, and the subject matter for this particular week's discussion was a section from a book we've been using. It was all about the importance of discipline in the Christian life. And as different people shared, it was just amazing to see the different takes on these four or five chapters that we were studying, all the way from wholehearted acceptance to major problems with what this person had written. And as different people shared, one individual made a very brief comment that kind of landed on my heart with tremendous force. Uh, 
everybody's comments were important. But for me personally, what this one person said just kind of stayed with me. He said something like this. He said, you know, we're broken people. And, 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 a, and a list of requirements like this is something that leaves us helpless. The, the, I, know, I know this person well. And the way in which he said it, it just stuck with me. For the whole evening. And that evening I grew. I grew I think in my capacity as a pastor. Because of that one comment that this person made. That I realized that when I would speak and teach on the subject of discipline. That I needed to remember that it might come across that way to certain people. And therefore I had to work hard at building bridges to people like that. It was, it was his willingness to risk an observation like that. That he taught me with counsel and with wisdom that, that day. Now. Teaching needs to be followed up with action. And for this also we need one another. In another letter that was written in the New Testament to another uh, small group of believers, uh, probably from a Jewish Christian background, the author writes these words. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is the the anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. So from the very incipients of the church... Part of their reason for gathering together was to actually stimulate and spur one another to actions that demonstrate love for each other. And this was to be the result of careful consideration. That Christians were to consider how best to encourage and strengthen other people to translate their teaching into action. Now, now what, if, what if people refused to take admonition and counsel and insight? And such attempts to spur them on. What if they resisted? What if they fought back? And what if they actually were drifting in the opposite direction? Well that too. People need each other. In Hebrews chapter 3. In the same passage. In the same uh, letter. We read these words. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. As long as it is called today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin. And hardened against God. For if we are faithful to this end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. So the perseverance of Christians depends upon other Christians, not just the paid professionals, warning people if they happen to be moving in the wrong direction. So it's not just that we build one another up in love, it's not just that we teach and counsel, it's not even just that we spur one another to action. If we see them moving in the opposite direction, we need to get involved and plead with them gently and warn them. Because their security depends upon it. In these last few weeks, I've been involved in in, in both periodic telephone as well as email communication with an individual. I'm not even to show that they come regularly to this church, but they are aware of it. And as a result of that initial communication, I became aware that this person was contemplating a relational step that was very, very unwise. And so I have maintained communication with this person uh, whenever they would respond, pleading with them, urging them to to not move in that certain direction. So let me just kind of take these four verses and put them together in this one liner for us for today. It's not independence, but interdependence that we are called to live. And what is this interdependence according to the scriptures? Connecting with others in life transforming relationships that will bear fruit for eternity. So can you say that with me? What is interdependence? Connecting with others in life transforming relationships that will bear fruit for eternity. One more time. 
connecting with others in life transforming relationships that will bear fruit for eternity. And I actually put that last thing in deliberately for eternity because it is really eternal realities we're talking about. Jonathan Edwards, that great Puritan preacher, would say that heaven and hell hang in the balance every Sunday morning when the preacher is speaking. We're all moving in one direction or another. And life-transforming relationships are absolutely crucial to keep sustained movement in the right direction for us. So let me just for the rest of the message simply unpack how this thing works out. And I'm going to have to draw up on my own experience because those are the relationships I know best. And secondly, you need to have some assurance that I'm practicing what I'm preaching to you as well. First of all, the first kind of relationships that transform, I found, are relationships that involve a long-term commitment. The first one that came to mind, of course, was marriage right away. I've heard you, and you've heard me share this before, that uh, God's intention for us through our marriage is not primarily our happiness, but our holiness. Transformation into His likeness. And the reason for this is that marriage, like no other, flushes out to the surface our innate self-centeredness and selfishness. To use Mike Mason's famous three-part observation, he said, marriage exposes my lovelessness, marriage invades my privacy, and marriage is a relentless call to change for the rest of my life. Which is why we need permanent commitment to marriage. Because if we do not have a permanent commitment in marriage, as soon as this thing becomes a problem and these things become realities, we just move away. Which is why people who do not think this way about marriage are getting in and out of marriages much faster. That's why a lot of people are not even interested in getting into that relationship. Because marriage by divine design is intended to cause us to grow. That's such one obvious long-term commitment relationship. The second one has to do with children. If God blesses a marriage with children, then parenting becomes another long-term commitment that really ultimately causes us to grow. We, we think so often in shaping our sons and daughters that it's about making them change, which is true. But really it's God's instrument to make us grow. At least there are a couple of ways in which that has worked out in my own life. First of all, it has to do with the fact that uh, I have a desire for them. I have a desire for my son and daughter and all my grandchildren to mm, embrace the faith and, and a robust faith. But I'm also aware that this is battleground. That there is a battle on for the souls of our children and our grandchildren. There are cosmic powers of darkness that are arrayed against the agenda of Jesus. And so those two realizations, the desire in my heart plus the awareness of the opposition has kept me on the growing edge. I want to maintain strong forward progress in my walk with God because I, I, I want them to see every reason in my life to want, to want the same Jesus. And secondly, I do not want to give the enemy any kind of a foothold in my life lest through that he begins to have a foothold in their lives. Those two things have caused me to grow. The other way in which this thing works in our life, where parenting calls us to grow, especially as the kids get a bit older, when my children hit their teenage years, I came across a very interesting book by Kent Huggins called Parenting Adolescence. <laughs> and he said one of, the real, one of the main reasons why we have tensions with our adolescent children is that they actually remind us of ourselves. And so what if we were to look at that as God's searchlight upon ourselves with yet another opportunity for self-awareness and causing us to grow? So those are two long-term relationships that have caused growth in my life. Now some of you may say, but just a minute, what if we're not married? Or what if we're married and don't have children? Uh, that's okay, that's okay. Because really, you know, marriage is only temporary. I don't mean in this world, it's permanent in this world. But in God's economy, marriage is temporary. The church is eternal. 
One month before Sham and I got married, we started attending Rexdale Alliance Church. So we've been married for 43 years, and we've been married to this church for 43 years. And the decision to come to this church, to stay in this church, and to serve in this church, has been one of the most powerful transforming forces in our life. And even in the transition sermons early this year, I shared with you how at this stage, nearing the end of my ministry here, surrounded by a staff that is much younger than I am, who think very differently than I am about ministry and things like that, that it has caused me to grow and stretch even now at this point in my life. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. And so I would encourage you to commit yourself to long term to one local church. Yeah, you, may, you need to look around to find one church, but eventually you've got to stop shopping and hopping churches, looking for the latest novelties and preaching and in worship styles and all that stuff. Find some church, this one or some other church, if you, if you happen to be someone who's looking, where you can largely connect with the mission, mission and core values of that church, where you're generally being fed, and then warts and all, commit yourself for as long as God will allow you to, to that particular local church and start investing in that. Then you will begin to grow as well. So these are the three kinds of long-term relationships that in my life, my marriage, parenting, and a commitment to a local church. And precisely because these are long-term commitments, I have to change. Otherwise, I'm going to be mired in shallows in my life, or worse, be bitter for the rest of my life. You don't want either one of those things. The second kind of relationships that transform a relationship that requires submission to one another. Now, submission is a dirty word in our society. Fiercely independent people are not interested in submitting to anyone. They may be forced to do it at work, but they chafe. Certainly in church they're not going to, or in other in their other relationships. But the New Testament, the Bible makes it very clear that submission to people in legitimate authority, whether government or law by law enforcement people, or within the church, those who are in spiritual authority over us, in our polity, it's the eldership of our church. That this is crucial to our growth. Now we're not talking about mindless capitulation to the arrogant self-aggrandizing agendas of uh, power drunk leadership. We're not talking about tough like that. There is a time and a place for appropriate boundaries in those settings. But other things aside, where qualified men and women are appointed and put in positions of leadership over us, then submission to that leadership becomes a crucial, crucial component of our growth. There are several dimensions to it. One, one of it is uh, submission to discipline when we have done something wrong. I've seen this happen many times. On, on one occasion, almost 20 years ago, so some of you weren't even here at that time, maybe many of you weren't here, one, one man in leadership uh, was... Uh, found out to have been involved in some business ethics that was contrary to God's word. And so he was confronted, and he publicly confessed that from this pulpit. And then rather than fight and deny and justify himself and run away to some other church, taking all his problems with him, he chose to continue to remain and stay worshipping in this church after he had publicly confessed. And he met with two elders every Saturday for a whole year. And according to his own words, it was four months into that process when he repented for the first time. He, thought, he said, I thought I had repented. But it took me four months meeting with these two elders, week after week after week, before I even realized this is what repentance is like. He, he, he could have 
fought all this. He could have left. And he would have taken a personal wreck with him and probably left some broken relationships. But because he humbly submitted, his life was restored to a position of incredible usefulness and today raising a godly family as well. But a, but a positive dimension of this kind of submission has to do with choosing people who are spiritually more mature than you and allowing them to influence your life. The whole process of submitting to mentors. A picture of this that I would never forget, I'm thankful for. A few years ago I was walking downstairs, uh, it was the middle of the week, and there was a young woman sitting in, in one of those round tables at the cafe, just Bible open, notebook open, busy writing. I said, hey, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm just waiting. I said, who are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting for my mentor. I'm meeting with this person on a regular basis. And as I had a further short conversation, this mentor wasn't somebody who was 40 years older than them, although it could have been. It was just actually someone who was a few years older than this person that this person respected and liked. And so he said, I want what she has. And so I've approached her and she's agreed to meet with me. That's this little picture that kind of stayed with me. I said, oh, that's good. That's good. We need more of that kind of thing. Gordon MacDonald in his book, Rebuilding Your Broken World, Uh, talking about his own recovery from a massive moral failure, talked about the importance of this kind of submission, especially for younger Christians. He says, In the environment of ambition and the desire to establish oneself, there is the greater likelihood of compromise. The desire to establish a career might make it easier to turn one's head in the moment of an unethical decision or to ignore an injustice being done to a fellow worker. Pressure mounts and a person finds it much easier to take the first steps towards choices and decisions never before thought possible. These are just a few reasons why young adults badly need mentors or sponsors. Older couples who come alongside and offer supportive wisdom, encouragement, and models of godly behavior. Young adults can thrive in these difficult environments when they renounce the youthful tendency to want to go it alone and to seek relationships providing guidance and accountability. Now this, of course, immediately implies two other things. First of all, not only does it imply that young adults and others need to seek and submit to these kind of relationships, it is also a challenge to those of us who are older that our work isn't done. There's a dimension of our work that's just beginning at this stage in our life. That in the latter years of our life, this call to be mentors, to share with people practical wisdom, is really not an option. The younger ones need it, and if they're reaching out for us, we need to step in, in spite of our, our own shortcomings. It has nothing to do with perfection. It just has to do with direction of our lives. I, I know my involvement in younger men and women in the last 10, 15 years of my life, especially now, this continues to contribute to my own growth as well. Shortly after the uh, hijack series was over, I got an email from one such younger person. A very sharp thinking mind that was beginning to interact with some issues that my book raised that I hadn't really addressed in there. And so as a result of this interchange, and we're not finished with that process yet, both of us hopefully are growing in wisdom, and many more are going to benefit from that exchange. And that's come from someone who's younger than I am and much sharper than I am in some areas. And I'm thankful for that. So it's not just one way. It's not just the mentors who are giving to the others. We benefit tremendously from our involvement in younger men and women who are keen to grow in the faith. But by far the largest majority of you will relate not to mentors, not to people whom you are mentoring, all that will happen. Most of our relationships in the church are with peers. 
And there too we are called to submit to one another. In the Bible we are called to submit to one another a reverence for Jesus. What does submission to peers and equals look like? Well, in the academic world, any of you who work in the academic world and publish papers, know the critical importance of peer review. If you're going to submit a paper in your field of interest, like I remember, I only wrote one paper in my whole life. That was my, uh, on my master's thesis. Well, I just submitted to people and they just took it apart and wrote all kinds of things in it, red, red marks all along the side. But as a result of that, the paper got much better. And then it gets accepted for publication. There is now credibility in your work because it has been subjected to peer review. Your blind spot and your shortcomings and whatnot have all been um, corrected in some way and the product is much better. Same thing is true in the Christian life. Our, Our understanding of scripture, our position on some aspects of church life or politics or whatever we think about as Christians is not perfect. It's likely to have some... Areas in it, there are gaps in our knowledge. And so submitting to one another to get their input into our lives and the way we think about these things is is a crucial part of growing up in wisdom. And again, I'm thinking of uh, another situation that I was happy to be and privileged to be part of. Where a young couple in our congregation several years ago was thinking of uh, taking a very important step in terms of living out their commitment to the kingdom. But it involved financial layout, it had relational implications as far as children were concerned, it involved moving that would potentially disrupt the family. And so this was not a decision they were going to make by themselves. And so they wrote to various of the people of their friends, and, and for the first time I heard a phrase that has never left my mind. They wrote to people that they called fearless truth-tellers. And I love that. I said, wow, what a privilege to have fearless truth tellers in our life. If we are willing to go to them. So often when we want decisions, we don't want any fearless truth tellers in our life. We want yay-sayers. We go to all the people who are likely to agree with us. But these fearless truth tellers spoke into their lives. They asked them some difficult questions about motivation, about financial issues. Why were they really wanting to do all these things? And this couple didn't resent it. They actually welcomed it. And people who loved them, who were the truth tellers, by the way, and you can accept truth from people who love you, uh, were able to help them make a very wise decision. It doesn't matter for this sermon what the decision was. I can tell you what they made was a wise decision as a result of people speaking into their lives. So relationships that involve a long-term commitment transform us. Relationships that involve submission, either this way, this way, or primarily this way, also transform us. And finally, very quickly, relationships that involve working together in teams. For me, I work together with a staff team. I work together with our elders boards. Those are the primary teams that I work with. The rest of you work with some of those. You also work with your own committees within the church. And even outside, you probably were involved in committees. And these are tremendous opportunities for growth. You see, good teams, good teams are built up of people who are different than us, who have different sets of skills and different perspectives. And so they are able to complement us. I'm always amazed at our staff meeting and our staff, how unbelievably different we are from each other. A few, a couple of years ago, we all went through Strength Finders. Some of you are aware of the books of Strength Finders. There's somebody has identified about 35 different major signature themes in our life, and this this little survey and the book helps you find your top five. At that time, 11 of us on staff did this. Not one of us had the same number one. There were 11 unique number one strengths. What was even more amazing was that the nine of the 11 of us, our number two strengths were also unique. 
So 20 out of 22 strengths were totally unique. That's how different we are. That's why every meeting can sometimes take a long time. Because everybody has a different perspective. But as a result of that, together as a team, there's much more likelihood, or much less likelihood, that, that we might completely miss an important dimension of something. Provided those of us like me and Chris who lead the team, provide opportunities for that kind of thing to happen. Rather than railroading our own way and our own agendas through the whole process. Now, of course, these differences are also sources of irritation, defensiveness, and potentially conflict. One speaker read many ago, commitment plus conflict equals change. I could have said committee plus commitment plus conflict equals change. (laughs) But it's the same thing. When we are working with people who are different than us, it's an opportunity for us to change. Because you see, it's an opportunity to develop those key character qualities of humility, meekness, and patience. In the team setting, we will discover that we're not as humble as we thought, that we're actually quite proud and in love of our own ideas. Secondly, we will learn that we're not as meek as we thought, that we get irritated and angry when people challenge us. Uh, We don't get our way. And thirdly, we will realize we're not patient people at all. We are quite impatient, especially with people who can ramble on in a meeting and not get to the point. So we are confronted. We are confronted with our pride. We are confronted with our uh, anger and and irritation. And we are confronted with our impatience. And, And if we stay in these teams rather than leave, then we begin to develop over a period of time humility, meekness, and patience. And when we are involved in these kinds of relationships like this, long-term commitments, in marriage, in parenting, in the church, in in mentoring relationships, in peer-to-peer submission, in working together in teams, in all of these settings, one critical component of growth is much more likely to be practiced. And that's confession. The, the spirit of the spiritual discipline of confession is not likely to happen with 350 people gathered here like this, except for solemn assembly. It's mostly in some of these smaller settings. Uh, just this one story, and with that we finish. At our elders' board meeting, uh, we often start with, almost always start with some kind of sharing. This particular, and it happened about seven or eight years ago. Uh, we were sharing this question, what is God done in, doing in your life these days? And what does it look like? Several people shared. They shared about some positive things that were happening in their life. And uh, also how much they were learning. It was, I think it was one of those times when we had that Sunday evening Beth Moore study together as a whole church. Uh, so they were sharing about all of those things. And then one elder said, uh, well, I don't have anything positive to share. I'm not getting a whole lot out of those evening studies. I'm actually spiritually quite dry. I'm practicing all these spiritual disciplines and they're not doing anything for me. And so, um, as, as I could predict what would happen at that time, we stopped and we prayed. The rest of the elders prayed for their brother and prayed for others. One or two others began to share similar things like that, which is what confession often does. It just opens the door for the rest of us to say, I'm no different. I'm in the same situation. And we spent some time praying for each other and we carried on. Uh, four days afterwards on the Sunday when I encountered him, he said, he said, my joy has come back and my enthusiasm has come back as well. 
And so when I asked him for the process of the last four days so I could understand the process and then share it, I'd asked him for permission to share this in the context of a book I was writing at that time, and he gave that to me. He said these words. He said, first of all, it was very difficult for me to share something negative, given that the whole flow of the sharing to that point had been positive. Secondly, my reluctance to share about my spiritual dryness was a suspected desire to manage my image. But once I did share, I experienced a huge sense of relief by getting it out in the open and by the way I was accepted by others. Their acceptance was communicated by their prayers, not just for me, but for others around the table who were also going through a difficult situation. And then he talked about a ministry assignment that he had been preparing for. And what had happened to him in this process equipped him to preach that much better. And so many people responded to him and talked about uh, how relevant that ministry was. We can only imagine what would have been the outcome if giving in to the fear or the desire to manage his image, he had never risked sharing. In the kind of relationships that I've talked about, there's a greater likelihood of some this kind of confession happening. Three relationships that's worthwhile investing in. And this is what we're learning. So can we just remind ourselves one more time, what is interdependence? Connecting with others in life-transforming relationships that will bear fruit for eternity. And Max Lucado in his book says this, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. Yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine, and we share our discoveries, when we mix, mingle, confess, and pray, Christ speaks, and that's what makes it all worthwhile. This is the final purpose of all this. It's about hearing the voice of Jesus through one another. And when you hear it, it makes all the difference. What happened to me that two weeks ago, when this one young man's observation just landed, I would not have missed that for anything. Because it stays with me. Jesus spoke to me that day through his words. And for some of you here who are not yet Christ followers, perhaps this has given you a little bit of a glimpse as to how we as Christ followers are attempting to become interdependent people. For you, the starting point, as I've pointed throughout this series, is to settle the issue of independence from God. And that's what the rest of the service is focused on. That's what Doreen's testimony focused on. And so to help us in that, we have a ministry for that on every Wednesday night in this church that's lasting for just six weeks, started last week, where you will have an opportunity with several other people, about 12 other people who are on this journey with you, just to explore various dimensions of what it means to follow Jesus Christ as you will hear an engaging video and then have an opportunity to discuss with one another. I understand that last week, we literally had to shut down the discussion. There was that much enthusiasm. So we'd love for you to become part of that process and begin with addressing the issue of independence in terms of your vertical relationship with God before these things become a little bit more uh, accessible to you. So we'd love for you to sign, sign up for that if you want to on the, on the kiosk on the way out. I want to have those who are going to help serve the communion elements make their way to the front. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is all about our unity. This is all about the body of Christ and the interdependence of the various elements within the body. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just simply encourage you to reflect upon what we are doing as, as people who are Christ followers. 
This is an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know, we're just glad that you're here. And you may not feel free to participate because you haven't yet become a follower of Jesus. But we're glad that you're here. It's like you're sitting at, as a guest at a meal in a family that you don't belong to. And yet it is a family that has welcomed you. And it's a family that is living out its normal life in your, in your presence. And so we trust that you will feel welcome even during this stage of our worship this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness to us that you bear with us as we stumble along in our walk and our attempts to grow. And I just thank you that Sham and I have had the incredible privilege along with, our, along with our family to grow up in this body for nearly 43 years and to be shown so much love, mercy, encouragement, forgiveness for our faults and our shortcomings, support when we need it, uh, every time we need it, we're just so grateful, Father, that you have forged these kinds of relationships with us. People that we think about that bring tears to our eyes of gladness. People whose words and um, unspoken actions of, of, of generosity, of care and trust have built us up and strengthened us. And so I want to personally, on behalf of my family, say thank you for this family of God. And Lord, I pray that as we partake together as this table of thanksgiving, that you will just continue to intensify that sense of gratitude that every one of us can and should feel and express because we are not self-made, independent people, Father. So help us to acknowledge and rejoice in our interdependence this morning. In Jesus' name. Here's my blessing for you that this week may someone from the body of Christ bless you with exactly what you need in your life to take you to the next step in your walk with God and may your hearts be filled with gratitude for the body of Christ because of that. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.